Thanks for joining us online today. We're really glad you're with us. Yeah, Core Church is a place of hope, healing, peace, and purpose. And we want you to come see us at 10 a.m. any Sunday. And if we can be of any support to you, we'd love to connect with you. There's lots of links in the description below, whether that's prayer or support in any way. We pray that this message is going to both encourage you and inspire you. Hey, our word for 2022 is inconvenient faith. Uh, we've been talking about this idea that convenient Christianity is the enemy of your soul. The enemy wants you to become passive in your faith, and we all, you're here today because you want to be passionate in your faith, but it's not easy to keep that passion for Jesus alive because you have an enemy that's working against you. And this is what our eight core practices that I mentioned earlier, this is what they are all about. We have eight practices, and these eight practices are what help you to live out your faith. And this year, though, we're calling these practices inconvenient. <laughs> They're inconvenient, and we are on our practice of Sunday worship. How many of you know Sunday worship can be inconvenient? It is not easy to make this a practice. Not easy at all. So we're starting a new series today called Inconvenient Worship. I'd like for you to stand for just a moment. Would you welcome my friend, Jeff Henson? He's coming, he's gonna speak to us today. Come on, Jeff. All right, you can go ahead and be seated this morning. Brad, you're supposed to tell him that I had an awesome crossover and a great jump shot, and he uh, did not mention that. Uh, <laughs> fell, fell. And uh, I'm so glad to be here, Core Church. Thank you for having me. Thankful for the opportunity to share with you uh, this morning. And, and, and I told Brad, I said, I'm not sure if you guys are ready for me because Brad is like, he's like a monster Red Bull combo before you go to a concert. And I'm a little more like lavender hot tea before bedtime. And uh, so, nighty night. No, uh, no, don't do that. Don't do that. But, uh, but honestly, very thankful uh, to be here and for the opportunity to teach uh, to you this morning and to worship together with you this morning. I want to ask you, do you remember where you were in March of 2020 when things seemed to go sideways? Uh, I think we all had like a moment, and I don't know, you know, you're either with somebody or you heard something on the TV or from somebody where you're like, I think things are about to change. And uh, I remember I was at a student ministry gathering uh, in Bixby at a church in Bixby, and, and I remember after the service was done, somebody came in and they said, hey, did you hear that they canceled the Thunder game because a player tested positive for COVID? And I remember we were all talking that night. We were like, something, something is coming down uh, the pipe. Now, little did we know how things would evolve and how, what that would look like in the weeks, months, and years to come. But I think we all knew something is about to happen. And it did. And, and for us, you know, regionally, for us in Oklahoma, it was probably, you know, several months that we were impacted and a little bit shut down. Uh, I know for others, it was, it was much longer than that. And, and what was funny in that moment was that you all of a sudden have neighbors you've never seen before walking. You all remember this? It was the weirdest thing ever. You're like, wow, everybody is walking now. Everybody has animals. Everybody is, I mean, it was crazy. We began to do things because it was almost like we had a never-ending snow day 
right? And uh, we, we're just nothing day. Let's go walk. Let's binge some some Netflix. Let's let let's hang out. Let's play board games. I remember for our family, we're ordering puzzles. We're like, what are we going to do with our time? I mean, I, I remember having people come up to me and say, Jeff. This is like so awesome because I have no life commitments and no normal obligations. And the introverts in the room were like, this is heaven on earth right now, what I'm experiencing, right? And it was such, such a strange time. And for us, we had to learn, we had to learn about Zoom. Uh, some of us had to learn about Skype, all these different things, right? Virtual school, which was something special in and of itself during that, during those early days, right? And then church online. Now, churches in Oklahoma, again, we're, we're pretty thankful because most, most of churches in Oklahoma weren't down that long comparative to other churches around the country, but most were about two to three months. I know our church that I was leading at the time, we, we took about two and a half months off and, and we came back at the, at the end of May. And, and I'll be honest, so thankful for technology and the ability to connect with our people during such a chaotic season of life and of ministry. So for us and for many of you, what did that look like back in 2020? It looked like Sunday mornings, sleeping in, going to church in our jammies, right? Watching, watching somebody on a screen with bacon and eggs in our lap and a coffee by our side, right? And we're like, this is good, right? Uh, this, this, this is awesome, right? And what started out as a necessity in the early days soon became a routine and a habit and even an excuse to check out of normal life, right? Or maybe even an easy off-ramp to exit the church and gathering with other believers, Altogether, You know, this past March, Pew Research did a study that found that only two out of three regular church attendees returned to the physical gathering of Sunday worship. Now, you may be saying, Jeff, like, that's 66%. Like, that's really good, right? But what we're forgetting is there's 33% that have not returned yet and maybe will not return again. It's why Aaron Earls of Lifeway Research said this, for a vast majority of still missing churchgoers, their absence is not so much an intentional decision, but an unintentional creation of a new habit. Meaning most did not plan on this being the case, but it just happened. Now some are trying to figure out how to recommit to the weekly gathering, and this may be you, and some, though, are thinking through, does Sunday worship really even matter? Is it necessary for a follower of, worship, follower of Jesus to be in a place of worship like this consistently? And I think we all can relate, coming out of, coming out of the pandemic, the tension that we all were dealing with. Because priorities were reshuffled, for better or worse, right? Spiritual commitments were loosened. And many disciplines in our lives, spiritual, physical, and otherwise faded and fell to the wayside. So I think there are real questions to ask and wrestle with this morning as it comes to the spiritual practices in our lives that should or shouldn't be a priority for a follower of Jesus. Is experiencing God's presence with God's people important to our faith journey? Should Sunday worship be a priority 
and an essential discipline as we follow Jesus. Can I have strong faith and follow Jesus well and choose not to gather regularly for Sunday worship? Now, these are some of the questions I'll be attempting to answer this morning as I lead off this new series called Inconvenient Worship, which is based upon, as as Brad spoke about, a core practice here at Core Church on Sunday worship. Now, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. And if you have version on a phone or tablet, you can go to Nehemiah 8 as well, Old Testament. Nehemiah chapter 8, and those of you who are type A, I'm just going to give you a heads up. We're going to do the very last verse of chapter 7, just so you don't get thrown off and you can plan accordingly. Uh, but we're going, to, we're going to go there and then go into 8. Now, let me give you some brief background on where we're at in this text. The walls of the city of Jerusalem have been in ruins, destroyed. And Nehemiah caught wind of this, and Nehemiah 1, you can go back and read about this, and he, his heart was broken. He had a serious burden from God to rebuild this wall. And it's no small task for a variety of reasons, which we will not go into right here this morning. But because the wall of the city was gone, those that lived in the city before were exiles all over the place. Truth be told, the city, the city wasn't safe, it wasn't habitable, it wasn't governed well, it just was not a good situation since the walls of the city were broken down and burned down. Now, as Brad talked about last week, the wall was actually rebuilt in 52 days, which, which is extraordinary, only God kind of moment on October 2nd, which, which he spoke about uh, last week. And truly just a miraculous feat that this wall is rebuilt in that amount of time. And now all of the exiles are beginning to come back in and around Jerusalem. So the wall is finished, but that is not all God is wanting to do here. The first part of the book of Nehemiah is rebuilding the wall. The second part of Nehemiah is rebuilding their spiritual lives. They've been exiled They've kind of adopted a a new normal and accepted certain rhythms of life that weren't ideal for their spiritual growth or spiritual progress. They've gained some bad soul habits and they've neglected some good ones. But now they're back to the city they love, hoping to find normalcy in their spiritual rhythms again. And this is what we read, Nehemiah 7, verse 53. It says this, In October, when the Israelites had settled in their towns... All the people assembled with a unified purpose at the square just inside the water gate. They asked Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given for Israel to obey. So on October 8th, yesterday, just kidding, uh, October 8th, uh, Ezra the priest brought the book of the law before the assembly, which included the men and women and all the children old enough to understand. He faced the square just inside the water gate from early morning until noon and read aloud to everyone who could understand. All the people listened closely to the book of the law. Now, they were scattered all over the place, but now they gathered together. And what a powerful picture. The NIV translation says they all came together as one. The scripture informs us that it's anywhere between 40 and 50,000 people came and assembled together. So you have 50,000 different and unique individuals. But when looked upon that day, the perspective that was seen 
was as one person, unified in in purpose, unified in a desire to worship, unified in a hunger to hear God's word. What a moment. And the text tells us that the scriptures are read until noon, so five to six hours of listening to the scriptures being read. We sigh when church goes over 75 or 80 minutes, right? And which Brad kind of spoke to. Like, I got to get my three-piece of Charlie's chicken. I mean, I have no time for this, right? Uh, Five to six hours, five to six hours they were there reading the scripture. And I want to read you some verses found in that eighth chapter of Nehemiah from this gathering that, that gives us a peek into the attitudes, the emotions, and the expressions that were present that day as they gathered. Verse three, we, we just read this. He read it aloud from daybreak until noon as he faced the square. It speaks to the spiritual intensity that was present as they gathered together. Later on in verse three, all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. It speaks to a spiritual hunger that existed in that place as they ga- gathered. Verse five, Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up It speaks to this holy reverence and awe and respect in that moment as they gather together. Verse 6, then Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people chanted, Amen, Amen, as they lifted their hands and they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And this speaks to worship, this speaks to surrender, this speaks to holy expectation that was present in that moment as they gathered. Verse 9, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. And this speaks to conviction, right? Repentance, emotion. And then verse 10, it says, and Nehemiah continues, says, go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. He says, this is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And in this, we see joy. We see celebration, being being instructed and being experienced as they gathered as one person together that day. Here is why I share with you the myriad of expressions, interactions, and responses in that assembly of worshipers that day. Because all of that, all of those things have the potential to happen right here. All of those things have the potential to happen as you walk through those doors and as we worship together and gather together for a unified purpose to worship and seek the Lord. All of those things can happen when we gather. It's something mysterious, it's something special, but every time that we gather for the sake of seeking Christ, there is something special, something mysterious, something deeply personal yet collectively impactful that can happen when we gather. You know, my wife and, and I love the band Need to Breathe, and I don't know if some of you know who that is. They're like little blues, little rock roots with some Christian undertones in the lyrics, right? Uh, I was trying to think of how to explain them for those who, who don't know them. I was like, if Mumford and & Sons and Kings of Leon had a baby, uh, it'd be Need to Breathe. Uh, some of you musical people, you can, you can correct me after service on that, uh, on that, that, uh, that similarity there. That's the best way to be able to, to say it. And if you go on my Spotify and look at my radio stations and the artists that I listen to, I mean, Need to Breathe is at the top of the list. Now, here's what's interesting. 
I don't really love concerts. I never have. And, I, and some of you are like, man, what a weirdo. Because like some of you have all the shirts and you go to everyone. But I really haven't. I mean, I've just, I don't know if I was, I was drugged to too many uh, Chris, bad Christian uh, concerts in my youth, which is very possible. Uh, I was like, I have no time for that. I do not want any part of that. Um, but I don't know. And so it never was really even a thing. And then a few years ago, uh, my wife, Christina, she had bought me tickets to go see Need to Breathe uh, at the Brady, at the Brady Theater in downtown Tulsa. And so we went, and it was an acoustic set, and it was unbelievable. Like, it was so awesome. It was like so many people, so much energy, so much enthusiasm, so much like just harmony. You talk about unified purpose, right? Uh, a lot of sweat was happening in that place. I mean, but it was special. It was special. I mean, it was such an awesome deal. So awesome that we've been to, to two other concerts since then for a non-concert goer of uh, myself. Now, here's the deal. I could sit on my back porch and listen to Need the Breathe all day long. I could even listen to the live shows on my porch, in my kitchen, in my car. But there is something transcendent about being live in person with people that want to be there with the same intensity and hunger as you do. It's mysterious, it's special, it's hard to articulate, it's hard to explain, but it is different. Now, here's the deal, listen to, the, listen to Need to Breathe on My Back Porch, it's not bad, you know, they're both necessary, they're both good, but they are not the same. I'll never forget the first Sunday people came back to worship that last Sunday in May. And Brad may remember different moments as well here at CORE. But it was a very emotional day when people walked through these doors for the first time in two, three months. It was, I mean, and I wasn't necessarily prepared for it, you know, is that there were tears. There was, like, undeniable excitement and enthusiasm. Worship was different. It was different those, those early days, especially that first day. And again, there is something special that happens when we gather together that is not the same if we're hanging out listening to it in our jammies on the porch, right? There is something special here. Now, I want to read Matthew 18, 20. Listen to Jesus' words here. And you've heard this. Where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Jesus actually promises to be with us when we gather together. His presence is promised. Now, when I was growing up, this verse was, was used as a bad excuse or an excuse for bad attendance, right? I'd come to an event, whether there was the threat of a snowstorm or a tornado warning or, or there was sickness going through the church, whatever. You know, the teacher would look at me and the two other people and say, well, hey, Sorry no one else showed up, but we're two or three gather in my name. You know, you know what Jesus says, wink, wink. We're going to have an all right time. And it was, almost like, it was almost like trying to make you feel better about no one else thinking it was worth coming to that night, right? It, it was weird. But here's the deal. Jesus didn't say this to give us an excuse for bad attendance. <laughs> he didn't say this to make us feel better. He was talking about something real and powerful and special that happens when we gather together that does not happen when we are alone. 
And maybe you have someone in your life that doesn't go to church and you've asked them why. And they say this, my relationship with God is a personal and private thing. In other words, they're saying, I think the church is irrelevant or judgmental or hypocritical or unnecessary. Been there, done that. I'm not interested in that anymore. And maybe you or someone you know might say, hey, I believe that my faith is fine to be lived out alone. It doesn't need Christian community. It doesn't need a a Sunday service to thrive and flourish. And I would say, contraire, mon frere, uh, not so fast. Psalms, here, Psalms 92, verses 12 and 13 says this, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree and they will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Okay, so we've got, we've got strength, we've got resilience, we've got flourishing, we, we, we have got health, we have got life. Why? Why is that the case for the righteous? They are planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. Is that seed of faith, that seed of their life, without being planted, doesn't produce, does it? That leads to ineffectiveness, leads to unproductivity, leads to unfulfillment. But when planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish. And what we forget so easily, and what many times I don't believe we recognize or we believe, is that Jesus promises his presence in a unique way to those who gather together in his name. He is promising transformative power and supernatural possibilities that exist uniquely in a worship gathering. And here's the big idea today. There is power and possibility every time believers gather because of Jesus' promise of his presence. I want to say that again. There is power and possibility every time you and I gather together because of Jesus' promise of his presence with us. Jesus' presence equals power and possibility. There are so many instances in the Gospels when Jesus shows up and when he is present, the scene and the environment shifts. The air in the room or on the streets is instantly filled with hope. It's instantly filled with expectation. It's instantly filled with conviction, filled with truth, filled with grace, filled with power, filled with possibility. And whether it's a blind beggar, a cheating tax collector, Martha and Mary after their brother has died, or a desperate man named Jairus who's, whose daughter is sick, or a religious leader named Nicodemus who is, who is trying to meet Jesus in the shadows of the night. Whenever Jesus is present, it is packed. Those moments are packed with power and possibility. And to be honest, I'm not, many, I'm not sure of anyone in this room, including myself, who is not open to the opportunity of God moving powerfully within us or the possibilities that only God can bring us. I know for myself, sign me up. I want to increase the probability of God's power to hit my life and God's possibilities to cross my life. Power and possibility is always on the table when God's people gather to experience God's presence. Now, here's what I know about all of us in this room. So many of us are living lives, either quietly or loudly, of desperation. 
So many of us are perpetually searching for something to ground us, for something to comfort us, for something to direct us, for something to strengthen us. So many of us come into this place and we are depleted, we are exhausted, and we are frustrated by life. Again, power and possibility is always on the table when God's people gather to experience God's presence. So when you show up to a service like this, or you show up to midweek worship, or you show up to a prayer meeting, guess what? You're increasing the probability of God's power working in your life. When you gather together, you are putting yourself in a position to experience spiritual possibilities that wouldn't exist otherwise. Maybe it's a specific word from God. Maybe it's encouragement gained by being in the house of God. Maybe it's accountability that you needed that you would not have otherwise. Maybe it's comfort. Maybe it's conviction. Maybe it's clarity. Maybe it's surrender. Maybe it is freedom, power, and possibility because of his promised presence when we gather. I'll never forget when I was a youth pastor in my first ministry tour of duty, I would say. And I had three senior pastors in my first four years of ministry. Three senior pastors. So to say that those first four years were tumultuous would be a horrible understatement. Uh, it was rough. It was I, love, I love the ministry, love my team, but it was a very dysfunctional and unhealthy and toxic spirit that was around the, the, those initial years. And I'll be honest that I prayed a lot of prayers saying, Lord, I've got my parachute on, take me on out, right? Get me on out of here. Uh, I can take you to this day, I can, I can drive to the church and I can drive to the patch of grass that I spent a lot of time on praying and asking God to show up and get me out of here, right? <clears throat> I mean, it, it was tough. Now, I don't know the reason, but there was a Wednesday night and normally we did our student ministry stuff on Wednesday night. But this Wednesday night, we're having an all-church Wednesday night service. Now, I know that I was on staff, and I should have been, like, thrilled, but, but I'll, I'll be honest, our all-church Wednesday night services were like a couple bottles of Zequel. I mean, they were snooze fests, right? I mean, I wanted no part of them. Get, get the dog game out. Let's go, uh, right? Uh, I mean, they just, they weren't, it was just like, oh, man. And... Uh, but I'll, I'll do the deal. So, so we show up, students, everyone's there. Strangely enough, I'll never forget this night, is Ben Parker, who was our, our children's pastor at the time. He was teaching. He was teaching from the book of Habakkuk. Now, it, Habakkuk is one of those books when people say, hey, turn to Habakkuk, you think they have made it up. Like, that's not a real book. You're trying to fool me. It's like Hezekiah. You're trying to fool me. I've been there. I got it, okay? But, but it was in Habakkuk. And, and what he was talking about was how the prophet Habakkuk was complaining to God and really petitioning for God to move and getting a little agitated and frustrated that things were not happening as they should happen as he was praying. Things were not happening quick enough. Things were not clear enough. And then Ben, he, he opens up Habakkuk and he reads Habakkuk 2.3. And this is, he reads God's reply to Habakkuk. It says this, for the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Hmm. 
still gets me to this day, the relevancy of this. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. Now, I'm going to tell you, I don't know that anyone else in that room that night remembers what Ben Parker spoke about. But I can certainly tell you I do. Because for someone mm, needing some hope, needing some direction, needing to trust it was going to be okay, needing to know that God was working behind the scenes, right? Needing to know that God heard me, that God cares for me, that God knows what's happening. That verse in that moment, wow, hit me. Now here's what's interesting. What if I decided to call in sick that night? I mean, I could have. I mean, I didn't have any responsibilities. Um, what if I decided to leave the worship for a bit and just stroll around, high, high five the nursery workers? You know, because I mean, hey, they, they need some high fives, right? And, and honestly, I was, you know, I was kind of like, uh, I really didn't want to be in here. What if? You know, a few months later, I received a call from a pastor of a church in Las Vegas by the name of Shane Phillip and And that call was the beginning of a new season of life and ministry for us in Las Vegas. And I can go back to that moment and that verse that God spoke to me, that gave me the footing to keep going and keep trusting the Lord. Now listen, listen. Every time you and I gather together, these moments are packed with the opportunity to experience God's power and his supernatural possibilities. You never know what. You never know when. You never know how God shows up. But the potential for God to speak, the potential for God to move personally and collectively in this room is always present when we gather together. And when you and I show up, we increase the probability of God showing up in and through our lives, for where, for where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Something special happens when you experience God's presence with God's people. And as a follower of Jesus, listen, we should be consistently looking for opportunities for God to show up in our lives and through our lives. We should be intentionally looking to position ourselves in Christ-centered spaces and places and gatherings where God can get a hold of our lives. And one way and one space to accomplish that is through the Sunday worship gathering. And here, here is my first and only action step for you this morning. This is very easy. If we had a quiz, you would pass right here. Here it is. Commit to the Sunday gathering. Commit. This, and this isn't like, you know, a little toe in the water. This is like belly flop from a, a 10-foot diving board, right? I mean, that, that kind uh, of commit. And you're here this morning. You're saying, Jeff, like, this seems odd that this would be an action step uh, to give us because we are here. But here's what I know. Some of you don't want to be here, right? Some of you got pulled by the ear to be here. Some of you were guilted to be here, right? I am not naive enough to think that everyone in this room is orienting and anchoring their week around Sunday worship, but we should be. It should be a foundational spiritual commitment and discipline in our lives as we want to know Jesus and become more 
like Jesus. And, and if you scoff at this notion, there's some of you, I heard you sigh. I, I saw the eye. You're rolling your eyes at me. I felt it, right? Listen to this verse in Luke 4 about Jesus. Jesus' earthly ministry just began, and we read in Luke 4, 16, when he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as what? As usual, to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures as usual. NIV says, as was his custom. So here we have God in flesh, right? The Son of God, the Messiah, who if anyone ever had a real and valid excuse and logical reason to not go to the worship gathering, it would be God in flesh, the Son of God, Jesus himself. But this was a part of his spiritual rhythm. This was an opportunity that he did not miss. And there are many times in the Gospels where Jesus is doing things to model them for us. And his commitment to worship on the Sabbath is one of them. And he is saying, do as I do. You need this. That's what he's telling us. You need this. You're not strong enough to go without this. This needs to be a central part of your life and your spiritual journey. I believe that when we commit to the the Sunday worship gathering, and and all of you are here, we're doing this together this morning. It's like we're tithing our upcoming week to God. We're giving Him the first fruits of our upcoming days and hours ahead. We're surrendering part of our free day, our nothing day to him. We're choosing God first. Kendra Dean, author and speaker, she she wrote this. If we are not shaped by practices that point to the God who is perfect, then we will be shaped by practices that point to imperfect gods instead. I think we need to chew on that for a sec. If we are not shaped by practices that point to the God who is perfect, then we will be shaped by practices that point to imperfect gods instead. And the Sunday gathering is a spiritual practice that help, helps point us to a perfect God. Here are some questions I have for you as we, as we close this morning. What practices and commitments are you being shaped by today? What if our commitment to the Sunday gathering fueled our week set our priorities, anchored our identity, and set the table each week for God to work freely and powerfully within us? What if we committed to this simple yet impactful practice of worshiping with God's people? I know for some of you are like, Jeff, you're preaching to the choir on this, right? But I know for some of you, it's like, this has never been a priority or a part of my spiritual rhythm or a part of my family's life or rhythm. Here's the good news. You can change that. Not without inconvenience, maybe. Not without a little sacrifice. Not without some intentionality. Maybe not without some potential discomfort. Definitely not without commitment. But you can change that. And listen, I get the craziness of life. I have two teenagers. I get the busy, busy weekends. But I also get that whatever we believe is important and essential to our lives. Somehow, some way, we always find ways to work around it, do we not? And I, I've seen this from, from youth sports to adult sports, right? I mean, we, we find a way. We find a way. And I know for some of you, because of work, stuff that is beyond your control, this commitment 
is almost impossible or challenging. I get that. And I know some of you, you have things and variables in your life that are beyond your control, health situations that are beyond your control. And so I get that. And so whatever committing looks like for you in this season, commit. We are all coming out of this past two, three years trying to get a spiritual rhythm going again, right? But let's not wait for some perfect time that will never show up. Let us commit to the Sunday gathering and not rob ourselves or our family of the potential of what God may say or do on any given Sunday in and through our lives. Listen, you need this. Listen, I need this. We need this. And this place needs us. In his book, A Hidden Wholeness, Parker Palmer relates a story about farmers in the Midwest who would prepare for blizzards by tying a rope from the back door to their house to the barn as a guide to ensure they could return safely home. Think about that. These blizzards would come quickly and fiercely and were highly dangerous. When their full force was blowing, a farmer could not see the end of his own hand. Many froze to death in these blizzards, disoriented by their inability to see. This is crazy. They wandered in circles, he writes, sometimes lost in their own backyards. If they lost their grip on the rope, it became impossible for them to find their way home. Some froze within feet of their own front door, never realizing how close they were to safety. I share that. Many of us trying to regain our steps, have lost our way a bit, have wondered, have went a different direction in life, have lost rhythm, have lost the anchor. And here's the deal. God is offering us a way home. He is offering us every week a rope to lead us back to him. Every week, God is offering you and I a rope to keep us safe and to keep us from getting lost. He's offering us a rope to be encouraged, to be convicted, to be directed, and to be moved and transformed. And that rope is called this Sunday gathering. So I'm not sure what you heard today or what God is saying to you, but this is what I know, and this is what I always say, is whatever he is saying to you, respond to it. Whatever, however he is nudging you, however, however he is directing, convicting, speaking, listen and obey and respond to God today. God, we come before you and we thank you, Lord. We thank you for the rope that you've given us through the Sunday worship gathering. And God, I just ask, Lord, that, that you would be in our midst, God, that you would, you would move us, you would, you would change us, you would help for some of us to make an anchor, to really draw a line in the sand that, that this will be a commitment that we make for ourselves, for our family. We will put ourselves in places of Jesus's presence that we can experience that transformative power and those supernatural possibilities. We are gonna increase the probability of you to move in our lives. And so God, we surrender that to you. I pray, Lord, Whatever you are doing, whatever you are saying, God, continue to do so. Work it through in our hearts and our minds today. God, we give you our rest of our time together. In Jesus' name.
We hope the message you heard both encourages you and inspires you. Yeah, we'd love for you all to come and see us at Core Church at 10 a.m. any Sunday. And if we can support you in any way or you'd like to get connected with us, there are links in the description below. Thanks again for joining us online.